Good to see everybody out on this amazing Thursday night as we kind of get rolling into the new year. Tonight, a couple of those crazy things that go on in the book of Revelation, these two witnesses that so often get talked about so very frequently are misunderstood. And so tonight, pick up in verse 3 here in Revelation 11. We'll read down to verse 13, and again, remember, this is a parenthetical section. We're going to finish that tonight. So these are kind of filling in some of the details, some of the stuff that's going on in the midst of the tribulation, and it describes a very specific period, a point of time uh, that we're going to get to as we begin next week, and we finally get to that seventh woe, that trumpet. And it begins tonight uh, with, with these two very unique extremely powerful, uh, make a great movie. This is kind of one of those sections you read this and you go like, that'd be an awesome movie. You can just see it now. Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the witnesses or something. You know, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe not, now that I think about it. But. but the two witnesses, would you pray with me? Father, thank you. This amazing fellowship, Lord, for these blessed saints, this wonderful group of people that have come tonight to hear your word. Pray that as your word speaks for itself, that we'd hear, God, that you would bless us with your presence in this place. Pray that you would now take this bit of time that we have, that you'd instruct us and strengthen us. Lord, there is a plan that you have for the very last days. And Lord, tonight we get a glimpse into those things that are yet future. And so, Lord, we pray that your power would rest upon us by your spirit as we read your word, would you give it power through the Holy Spirit? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Picking up in verse 3 here in chapter 11, the book of Revelation. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And so he immediately turns from the temple. Now remember that temple that we discussed last time that will be built on the temple mount, that temple that today is not there. But if you're going to minister to the Jewish people, if the whole goal, as the book of Joel reminds us, the goal of the tribulation is to see that all Israel is saved, that it's because of what was done to Israel, to God's land, to his people, that, that the world has turned its back, in essence, against God by turning its back on Israel, and has become so wicked that the Lord has decided that it's now time, I'm going to judge the world, now that temple is standing there. And so if you're going to minister to people who are Jewish, no better place to do it than in Jerusalem near the temple. Because they will be flocking there to make sure that they have an opportunity to continue worshiping in, in the way that their forefathers did. And so I'll give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. And these, speaking of the same two guys, these two witnesses, are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. And these have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. 
So for three and a half years, no rain will fall. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And when they finish their testimony, when God is done with this powerful witness that will go forth in Jerusalem, and we're told that in the next couple of verses, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So we know where this is. There's only one city where the Lord was crucified. That's the city of Jerusalem. And then those from the peoples, the tribes, the tongues, and the nations will see their dead bodies. Three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. It's kind of a gruesome sight. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. And notice this is a global event. And you need to put this into global proportion in order to understand that this is yet future. And you really have to understand this from a perspective. If the whole world is going to know about this, there must be some vehicle whereby that can happen. And that's a very, very new uh, piece of technology. Satellite communication. It is only in the, in the last really 25 years that the technology has really existed to simultaneously broadcast to all areas of the world. And so the entire world, all of the nations of the earth will be able to, it, it's like they're going to have this camera fixed on these two dead bodies that will be in Jerusalem. And an interesting thing occurs then. And then those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over They'll make merry, send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. They didn't just torment the people who dwelled in Jerusalem. They tormented the peoples of the earth. In other words, they, they had the ability to torment the entire world. And now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And so they are, they are going to be resurrected. They will all of a sudden spring to life. Like I said, this makes a, can you imagine the movie? And they stood to their feet. They've been dead for three and a half days. And they stand to their feet. And great fear fell on those who saw them. Yeah, I'm thinking so. Because they've been tormenting the whole world for three and a half years. And then all of a sudden they had happy dead witness day. And people are jumping up and down, sending each other gifts. And then all of a sudden, boink, the breath of life is breathed back into them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, the one that we're waiting for, come on up here. And they ascended into heaven in a cloud. And their enemies saw them. All the people who had been watching, the people who had been cheering, the people who had been sending gifts one to another, the ones who had said, hey, they're finally gone. Awesome. No more torment. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid 
and gave glory to the God of heaven. An amazing sight one day will be held, be beheld in Jerusalem as these two guys come on the scene. And remember again, we're in that divine parentheses. We're in that chapter 10, chapter 11, filling in these details, things that have been taking place during the tribulation. Remember there in chapter 10, we saw John as he took out the word of God and he began to take it in and eat it and it was sweet and it was bitter to him. He saw the blessing of God's word in obedience and he saw the curse in disobedience. He understood that God's righteous judgment would one day come. And as it's concluded, chapter 10 ends, John is told, don't hide God's word. Don't candy coat the results of disobedience. Tell people the truth about what lies ahead. This is one of those things that as a pastor, it's not easy to do because people generally speaking, and I'm not talking about you sitting here tonight, you're here because you have a hunger for the word in a general sense, most of you. If not all of you, you're here because you want to hear the word of God. But that's not a majority of the world. A majority of the world is not horribly excited about knowing what's going to happen next. Because they believe, number one, that they are their own master. Number two, that if there is a God, he would never do something like this because he's too good. And number three, that if he is God and he does do something like this, that somehow they will be exempt from it. And that pretty much describes the sin nature of a human being. We either think God's not telling us the truth if he's there, or he's not there at all, or if he is there and he is telling us the truth, somehow it doesn't apply to us. Amen? John told us back in chapter 10, you must prophesy again about many people's tongues, nations, and kings. He says, the message needs to go out. The message still needs to go out. Obviously, the message that we want to convey to the world is the gospel message, because right now we're still in the age of grace. God's grace is still available to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And so we're in a wonderful period of time where we can talk about what's going on in the Middle East and how things are shaping up and what the world looks like. And that's kind of strange. It looks a whole lot like what the Bible says it would look like in Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. It looks like that right now. God told us that. 2,500 years ago. I wonder about the rest of this stuff that's in here. And you start sharing with people. It's like, did you know the Bible talked about Jerusalem in the last days and kind of some of the things that would go on? And you share with them. You ever wondered why if the holiest place in Judaism is the Temple Mount? Have you ever wondered why there's no temple on that Temple Mount? It's a great way to open the door to share the gospel with people because they're interested about geopolitical things. They're interested about the Middle East. They look at the world around us, and people do wonder why the world spends so much time on such a tiny little country. And almost every day in the news, there's something about Israel. You see, no matter what age you're living in, there's always going to be a spokesperson for God. No matter what age you're living in, there will always be a spokesperson for God. God sees to that. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. 
Before the tribulation begins, of course, we, the church, are going to be snatched away. So during that initial time when the Antichrist is a man of peace, remember he comes first, as we all have already seen, he comes as someone who's a ruler, he's a conqueror, but he has a bow and no arrows. He, he, he's coming as a peacemaker. And he's going to negotiate for that temple to actually be built. Even though it will be built in troublesome times, it's still going to get built. There's going to be, you know, the UN will meet on it. It's like, yeah, okay, go ahead and let them build it. But when the Antichrist first comes on the scene, he's going to be viewed as a hero. The whole world is going to hail what he's done because he's going to fix the three major components of what ails the world from the world's perspective. He's going to fix the economic climate. He's going to fix the religious climate. And he's going to fix the government of the world. Now, if somebody actually stepped out of eternity and into time today and had the solutions to the world's economic problems and the world's religious problems and the problems that exist between governments on the earth today. If somebody did that, don't you think they're going to get the Nobel Peace Prize for like the next 10 years? It's exactly who the Antichrist will be when he comes on the scene. He's going to have tremendous capacity to bring people together. But he will not stay that way. His true colors will eventually come out. And so during that period of time when the world is kind of trying to figure out, what's this all about? And and the Jewish people begin to worship in that temple. And then, as Daniel 9 tells us, and 2 Thessalonians 2 reminds us, when he turns color, when he finally is revealed, that man of sin is revealed, people are going to go, Oh, no, this is what those crazy Christians were saying all along. They said this guy was going to, he wasn't, we thought he was going to stay good. They said he would come and he'd be good, but then he's going to change. And he's going to go into the temple and demand to be worshipped. And so when all of this chaos is going on, these guys are going to be outside the temple. I told you so. It's not about what's going on there in the temple. That still can't save you. Can you imagine? Everybody's going to be mad at them. The Jews will be mad at them because they're going to say that's a false religion. They'll have to. There's still only one name under heaven whereby men can be saved. That's still the name of Jesus. Amen? So as the temple is opened up and there the high priest goes into the naos and he's in worshiping and he's offering sacrifice, these two witnesses will be outside. Don't go in there. It's only Jesus that can save. The World Council of Churches and every ecumenical group that's now all really merged together, they're going to hate these guys. And yet, probably because of the Antichrist, they're going to be allowed to continue to speak. Because, you know, he's going to be a free speech advocate for everybody. He's going to bring everybody together. So here these two guys are preaching, and all of a sudden, the the Jewish people are like, I think the Old Testament told us about this in Isaiah 52 and 53. I'm pretty sure that the Messiah has come, and his name is Jesus. And so I believe it's these two guys that are going to be used 
largely to bring about the salvation of the 144,000. They'll be preaching the gospel in the general vicinity, if not right next to this rebuilt temple. So here these guys are, they're like public enemy number one. Remember in Romans chapter 10, there in verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so these guys are going to be powerful preachers of the word of God. They're just going to, they're going to have like their own YouTube channel probably or something. I don't know. They'll be like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They'll be out preaching the gospel. When you travel to Washington, D.C., and if you haven't had a chance to do that, I encourage every American to travel to our nation's capital. Uh, we'll see if we can't put together a spiritual history tour uh, for the church. Be happy to lead that. But if you go, one of the things that's interesting about D.C. is you find these people that have been there for like decades on the same street corner with the same message. You got, you know, Free Willy, that group is there. You've got the pro-abortion folks. You have the anti-abortion folks. You have the freedom of speech folks. And they all, they have their little territory of the various, uh, capital buildings all plotted out. And they go there every day and they set up their umbrella and they have the signs. And I, I've been enough times that I'm like, I, this, that's the same sign made from the same piece of poster board with the same magic marker from 10 years ago. Same message. It's exactly how it's going to be with these guys. There's going to be one message, and that message will be the gospel, that Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for salvation, and you can't get to heaven any other way. They're going to be out there, John 14, John 14, 6 is going to be screaming out of these guys' mouths. Jesus is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. So you going into the temple, he'll be saying, that they'll, they'll be speaking. You going into the temple is not going to fix the problem. It gives you a sense on a global scale. There's this one world religion that's all inclusive. Everybody's been brought together. You got Christo Hindu Buddhists and stuff. You know, they're all, everybody believes basically the same thing, which is nothing. And so the Antichrist is telling everybody, well, we can't we all just get along? And these guys are going, we can't all just get along because getting along with you means going to hell. So they're not going to be popular in the sense that people are going to like them but they are going to be a real force to be reckoned with. And nobody's going to be able to touch them. People are going to try and assassinate them. Not going to happen. God's going to miraculously make it so that his word goes forth for those first three and a half years. And God has that plan. You, you'll see it. You know, it's like you can watch, you know, you can watch the International Space Station 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? It's like the most boring channel ever. Nothing ever, you just see the space station. 
And every once in a while, somebody goes out and they do a, a, you know, some type of walk outside. And it's like, well, that's kind of cool. But most of the time, it's nothing. But with these guys, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's going to be absolute craziness. Preaching like you've never heard. A false witness of the temple is, is going to be exposed for what it is. These two true witnesses are going to be a contrast to that false witness of this amazing, wonderful new temple. And it's just going to be an absolute battleground. They're going to be two wild and crazy guys. Verse 3 says, I'll give power to my two witnesses. They'll prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They're going to be just like John the Baptist. They're going to be wearing these nutty garments made out of camel's hair, turned inside out and scratchy and itchy. You, you can almost imagine they probably aren't going to bathe. I don't even know. It doesn't tell us all this information, but we know this. They're going to be, they're going to be disliked. And so for that first three and a half years of the tribulation, these two men are going to represent God before the people. And the reason we know it's for the first is because once the Antichrist reveals who he is, he's going to turn into a man of war. And so here these guys are just preaching it. They're ministering that good news. Walking around looking like a couple of wild men. And I believe that that's when the nation Israel will, will finally get the picture like, man, this is the forerunner. This is the one Isaiah told us about. Because Isaiah 40 says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. You, you see, they had been told this guy would come. They, they were told that there would be one like Elijah. And in fact, we'll get into him a little bit later. You see, they've been expecting somebody to do this but they haven't been expecting these two guys. As they begin to speak and these words come out of them, here, here they're going to be putting their faith, their hope, their trust. The world's going to be kind of on this crazy footing of just globalism run amok. Hebrews chapter 9, speaking of the temple, it was a symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifice are offered. There in verse 9, which cannot be made to him who performed the service. It can't be made perfect in regard to their conscience. In other words, the, the temple could never do what it was supposed to do. It was simply a symbol of that which was to come. That's why the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus being a more perfect sacrifice and a more perfect high priest, and he was the only way. And, and so as you get down further into chapter 9 and verse 11 of the book of Hebrews, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. And so these guys are going to be preaching that message. They're going to be standing outside of the Temple Mount going, you don't need that beautiful building over there. You need the Christ that's the temple that's not made with hands. Maybe even quoting from... The book of Hebrews. That is, it's not of this creation. Jesus is not of this creation. He's God's only Son descended from heaven. He came as both the Son of God and the Son of Man. Not with blood of bulls and goats. They'll be actually sacrificing animals again. But with his own blood, he entered in the most holy place. Remember what happened when Jesus said it is finished. The veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And that naos was opened up. 
And now anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? There's no more Yom Kippur necessary. He, he paid the price. Redemption was made. Atonement's been made. It's been made permanently for all who believe. We need only confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. Amen? So that message is going to be getting preached right next to this rebuilt temple. So you can understand why these guys are not going to be liked. You, you see, they're going to, in essence, be the conscience of the Lord in this terrible time. But they'll be talking about the perfect sacrifice. Notice how they're described. Olive trees and lampstands. Sounds really weird. When you read it at the first glance, you're kind of like, okay, two guys and they're camel hair and they're obviously preaching the word, but they're olive trees and lampstands. Turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Help you understand it. The two olive trees spoken of begin in verse 4, and you can kind of see this. And, and in essence, the, these. by the time you get to verse 12 here, and the second time I said to him, what are these two olive branches which are beside the two golden tubes or spouts, which is by the, the, the golden oil where it's emptied out? And he answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And he said, these are the two sons of oil, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel, the, the prince of Judah, the anointed ones who stand before the Lord of the whole earth. We, we've had a picture of this before as well. And so in this picture that's given to Zechariah in chapter 4, we see these two olive branches that are spoken of. And in this case, Zerubbabel was the governor of, Ju- uh, of, of Ju- and, and Joshua was the high priest. And so you had the government and you had the priesthood. Guess who actually combined those two things? His name is Jesus. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And he is the high priest of heaven. And so this picture of the finished work of Jesus Christ explained in these two men now come to us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we now have the Holy Spirit inside of us. These two guys are pictured as having the fullness of the work of the Word and the Spirit at the same time. You see, they were pictures of what would come later. And that's why that verse that we all know, for this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So these guys are the light that shines because they're obviously the lampstand and they are the oil that fills. And it seems as though the oil actually comes directly from these olive trees directly into the lamp, so there's a never-ending supply of the Holy Spirit. And so this is a picture of the finished work of Christ and that work that would then be spoken of in a way that they could understand it now. So as they see these two men, they're going to look like olive trees and lampstands. Light will be coming out of him. What did Jesus say about himself? I am the light of the world. And he sent the Holy Spirit. And so the lamp stands 
and the oil of the Spirit combined in these two men. So each of these witnesses will be one olive tree and one lampstand filled with the Holy Spirit, given off the light of God. And where we see that, you can kind of look at it this way. They're going to be just like the Spirit-filled preachers of our day. Those who take the Word of God and illuminate it, filled with the Spirit, and speak it forth. Remember, one of the aspects of prophesying is to speak forth that which God has spoken. We often think of prophecy as as in specifically those things that are, are yet to come, events that we would call eschatology. But one of the ways that you get to prophesy in our day and time, hear me very well and carefully, the one of the ways that you get to do that is by speaking forth what he has already said. That is still speaking forth the word of God. You will still be 100% accurate because it's God's word that you're speaking forth. That's prophetic speech. So they are going to speak forth what God has spoken. It's going to be the message of the gospel. These two witnesses empowered by the Spirit of God, doing the things that God's called them to do, they're going to be the shining light of God. It's going to be an amazing sight to behold. I actually kind of want to see it. We'll be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but I'm going to ask if I can like, like go and look or something. I don't know. Question comes to mind. It's obvious that this is two men. Who are they? Well, I can tell you this. If you've ever seen the movie The Untouchables, you know that's the story of Elliot Ness, right? And it was like he got it, you know, he's, he's like going to clean up corruption. He's taking care of Al Capone and John Dilger and all these guys. And, and it's like they get involved in a machine gun battle with machine gun Kelly. He still survived the untouchables. These guys are the real untouchables. No matter what they do, no matter what they say, you get near them, breath of fire kills them dead. And people say, wow, it's just crazy. That can't happen. The turn of the century, we were still using horse and buggy in America. We have landed on the moon. There's a lot of things that from our earthly perspective, you would say today can't happen. God can do anything he wants. He created the heavens and the earth. He spoke them into existence from nothing. He can surely give this kind of power to a couple of guys. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And the word devours there is katathei, and it means to literally turn to ash. So it's like, it's like the Godzilla fire breath thing. Or I should say Godzilla. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, he like breathes that breath of, and it's just like, gone. That's what it says. That that breath of fire will literally come out of their mouth and they'll be consumed, literally burned up. So they're over there speaking the word of God. Somebody comes, one of them, you can see Peter Jennings doing a special. And now live from Jerusalem, another one's gone up in smoke, you know. It's just like you're going to, there'll be film crews and people there all day, every day, just watching what happens with these two witnesses as people come and confront them. Well, that didn't work out so well. Something on Discovery Channel or 
They'll, they'll all be having their specials, trying to figure it out. At the end of the day, it's just going to be attributable to a work of the Lord. The Lord's simply going to do these things, and it will bear witness of him. It will be unmistakable, and that's the wonderful point to this. When God does these things, nobody's going to be able... The reason it sounds fantastic is if you could explain it in a natural way, then it might be confused with something natural. It won't be natural. It will be supernatural. That's the whole point. Because the entire world is going to have turned against the Lord. And so in order to get the world's attention, God sends these two guys for three and a half years. Now bear in mind, you think all of the talk about climate change and global warming and all those things that's going on, and whether you debate the science or don't debate the science, at the end of the day, these guys are actually going to stop rain. It's not going to kind of rain over here because one of the things that we're dealing with right now, well, if it's global warming, why is it colder and more snowy? It's not going to be like that. They're going to actually stop the rain. It won't rain. And by the way, that's the world's air conditioning system. So when it doesn't rain, we don't put water vapor up into the atmosphere. There's no water vapor in the atmosphere. We have no cloud cover, no cloud cover. It gets real hot real fast. So these guys are really going to be hated. They're going to be associated with this lack of rain. Have we heard this before? Yes, we have. You remember Jesus and the disciples were walking on the road. They're they're traveling through the village of Samaria. The the people there have rejected Christ. You remember what the disciples, you know, the the meek ones, the, the holy guys, James and John? They said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? And God said, Jesus says, no. You, you just go preach the message someplace else because that time has not yet come. The age of grace is ensuing. You tell them the good news. If they don't hear it, you move on. There'll be a time for that fire. He turned. He actually rebuked them. Do you know not what manner of spirit that you actually are? He says, you're supposed to be the emissaries of love and grace, John. It's because Jesus loves the world. He's always loved the world. He wants the world to be saved. And so they were untouchable. You got all these other things. You got the rivers of blood. Not the first time we've seen those. That happened during Moses' time, amen? God's been kind of using that as a picture of his judgment for a long time. He's saying, look, this is me. This isn't some plankton swarm. This is God doing what God does. But they're going to have the power to shut heaven. We've already seen these same basic things. And remember, we saw this begin to happen when the sealed judgments uh, began to unfold. And so who are these guys? Well, I can tell you with virtual absolute certainty that we know who one of them is for certain. Because scripture tells us, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So I'm pretty sure we know who that one is. 
And he will turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children, the hearts of the children towards their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so I believe at the beginning of the tribulation, these two guys come along. One of them, for sure, is Elijah the prophet. Matter of fact, Jesus, speaking of John the Baptist, gave us even a picture of that. And he talked about the Elijah who is to come there in Matthew chapter 11. And, of course, the nation of Israel rejected the Messiah, and thus to them, Elijah is still coming. And, in fact, if you go to a Passover Seder, if you sit down with an Orthodox Jewish family, one of the things that happens at that Passover meal is they leave an empty space, an empty chair, an empty plate for Elijah who is to come. And sometime during the meal, the children will get up and they'll actually go open the door to see if Elijah has come. So the Hebrew people are waiting for Elijah who is to come. And because the purpose of the tribulation is to see that all Israel is saved, comes to the knowledge of the truth, we know for sure that one of them will be Elijah. And he'll come in the spirit of Elijah. Luke chapter 1, remember, speaking of John the Baptist, a forerunner uh, of this one who would come, who would be the uh, forerunner of the voice of the Messiah. It says there in verse 15 of, Elijah, uh, of Luke chapter 1, for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink neither wine nor strong drink, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, these two guys are the olive trees, and they're the lamp. They're going to speak forth these things. They're going to be filled with the Spirit. Even from his mother's womb will turn away many children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go before them in the Spirit and the power of Elijah. And so this voice that's crying in the wilderness is speaking of the one who would come that would speak forth that message, that truth. And so the... Jewish people to this day set that extra place at the table for Elijah. First Kings chapter 17, we're told that Elijah had the power to, guess what? Stop rain. Luke chapter 4 and James chapter 5, verse 17, we're told exactly how long Elijah stopped the rain for. Guess what? Three and a half years. So as John records these things in the book of Revelation, all he's doing is saying yes and amen to what God had already said. And the Hebrew people will be looking for Elijah. It's an interesting number when you consider how long that period of time will be in the first portion of the tribulation. It will be for three and a half years. And so God's witness begins at the beginning of the tribulation period. The 144,000 begin to get rattled off as they get saved and they're accumulated. This group of people, 12,000 from each of the tribes of the Jewish people, and they're now wandering all over the earth, very specifically going forth from Jerusalem, sharing the good news of the gospel. So this incredible witness as Elijah, who is to come, has now come and he's prepared the way of the Lord and spoke forth the gospel message. Who's the second guy? Number two. Some say it's Enoch, and I think that that's pretty clear it's not. But as we look at him, uh, remember that he does kind of fit the basic criteria. Remember, he was also snatched away. Elijah was Elijah walked with God, and then he was no more. Amen? Enoch was the same way. Enoch walked with God, but Enoch walked with God before the flood. So he was not actually a Hebrew. He was before Abraham. 
But as Enoch walked with God and then he was not, uh, one of the things that we can look at is, is because we know that Romans 11 tells us that the point to all of this, for I desire, brethren, that you should not be ignorant of this mystery, Paul wrote to the Roman Christians in Romans 11, verse 25, lest you should be wise in your own opinions, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the times of the Gentiles has come. And then, so, all Israel will be saved. And so we know that the focus of these two guys is going to get the attention of the Hebrew people. That's their very specific thing they'll do. There will be Gentiles that will come to Christ, no doubt. But their focus will be the message to the Jewish people. And so as those scriptures all of a sudden flood back into their minds, I, I don't believe it will Enoch be Enoch. And so who is that number two guy? You remember the Mount of Transfiguration? You know the story there in Luke, Luke's Gospel in chapter 9. You want to turn there, verse 27. You remember the scene? Jesus goes up onto a mountaintop. He's with the disciples. He says to them, but truly, verse 27, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God began when Jesus Christ was resurrected. Amen? So some of those guys there, specifically James and John, Peter, all saw the beginning of God's kingdom come. They were standing there. And now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter and John and James and went up onto a high mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and the robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem, spoke of his death. But Peter and those who were with him, heavily asleep, when they were fully awake, saw the glory in the two men who stood with him. And then it happened, as they were parting him, Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And not knowing what he said, and while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered that cloud, and the voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And so here's this picture of Jesus actually being one on either side, Moses and Elijah. What was that meeting all about? Well, it was about the kingdom of God coming to this earth and about the good news of Christ's resurrection. He has to die in order to be raised. And so you have this incredible picture of Moses and Elijah together being that link between the setting up of the kingdom of God on earth and after death, the resurrected life in heaven. There they are together. As Moses represents to the Hebrew people, imagine what the Hebrew people be thinking. This is the author of the Torah. This is the author of of the Ten Commandments. This is the one who wandered with them in the wilderness. This is the one who was who went to the mountain and saw God. This is the one who opened up the Red Sea at the hand of God. This is the one who led them over into the wilderness and then got them all the way to the border of the Promised Land at Kadesh Barnea. So I believe that this other 
witness will likely be Moses. It would make absolute perfect sense if you're trying to reach the Hebrew people that you would bring back the two most important people as far as the Hebrew people would be concerned. And that would be the great patriarch Moses, responsible for the first five books, our Pentateuch, the Torah, and the Ten Commandments, and everything that happened in the wilderness. God has perfect plans for us, folks. And as you see in the lives of these guys, they will finish their testimony, and the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. It's incredibly understand, important to understand. Your life while you're here isn't going to end one nanosecond before God says so. From our perspective, we don't see it that way. We see people that we think died too soon. We, we, we look at someone who gets cancer and dies at, at 45 years old and go, there's just no way you're supposed to live until you're 85 or 90. We see it from an earthly perspective, but God sees it from his perspective. And he doesn't make mistakes. He isn't overcome. He, he doesn't wake up and have bad days. God's not wandering around going, oh, I don't know how I'm going to keep track of all these billions. Okay, some of them just got to die today. God doesn't work that way. His plans are perfect. They are yes and amen. And whatever he says will come to pass. And though we cannot understand why he does what he does, he always does what he does perfectly. And so these two guys are going to have their time. It's three and a half years. And then they're going to get killed. And there are going to be people that are going to look at that and go, see, there, this was just an anomaly. This was happenstance. This was a, a set of kind of strange circumstances, I'll grant you, but we can explain it. And they'll begin to try and explain away that these guys were ever speaking for God. The same way people try and explain away the supernatural today and try and explain away our Savior today. They'll be doing the same thing then. But I'm telling you, I don't care how weak you are. I I don't care how handicapped you may feel. I don't care how uneducated you are. I don't care how big the enemy is. He's not bigger than God. And so God's going to have his purposes accomplished in the lives of these two guys. Your life's not going to end. We just saw there in Philippians chapter 1. You know, look, it, it, it's, it's better for us to go to be home with the Lord, but he's got a plan for us while we're here. And so we stay and we make the best of that. And God is going to use us as witness of him in this world. But I'll tell you the most dangerous thing for us as believers, and that's to be outside of God's will. That's where you're in real danger. If you're in a war zone in the middle of God's will, you're golden. If you're outside of God's will and you're an exec- executive for Goldman Sachs and you're, you got billions of dollars and you got a house in the Hamptons and one on the West Coast and you're outside of God's will, you're still in trouble. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so this beast comes out of the bottomless pit And I believe this beast is the Antichrist possessed now fully by Satan. It was not just the Antichrist. 
The Antichrist has kind of been the minion, if you will, of Satan. And I now believe that at this turning point here in the second three and a half years, as you turn that corner, the Antichrist shows his true colors and is absolutely enraged against the inhabitants of the earth. Because he's not winning. All of his schemes and plans have not come to pass. And just as Daniel 9.27 and Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4 reminds us, that one who is to come, is that man of peace has now become a raging demon from the pit of hell, and he's going to make war on all of the earth. And, and so the enemy begins to pour out his plans, and he starts with the two guys that have been causing all the trouble. The enemy always shoots at leadership. One of the reasons you need to pray for me, you need to pray for Connie, you need to pray for the pastors, the leadership of the church, you need to pray for leadership in the ladies' ministry, you need to pray for Sunday school teachers. The reason you need to do that is the enemy always goes after leadership. It's the same thing in any battlefield scenario. If you can take out leadership, if you can take out command and control, you can take out the whole army. And so the Antichrist believes that that's a good strategy, so he's going to take out command and control. These guys have been 144,000 Jewish evangelists are now all over the world. The Antichrist is enraged. He's mad about it. So he's going to take these guys out, believing if he does that, he's won. Satan may believe that he can take me out, pastors that preach the word out, but I'm telling you, that's not going to win the war. Because someone will come right after me and fill the pulpit, and we'll keep right on going until Jesus comes for his church. Amen? And so you can see how the world begins to look at this. Notice what it says. There are dead bodies alive in the street in the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And peoples from tribes and tongues and nations will see their dead bodies for three and a half days and not allow them to be put in the graves. They're going to be, this is going to look like Black Hawk Down. You remember that story? <coughs> Excuse me. Those Somali warlords grabbed our soldiers and drug their bodies through the streets of Mogadishu. It's going to be the same thing. They're going to be cheering and yelling. They'll be shooting their AK-47s in the air. They'll be hollering something. These men are finally dead. But that's because their work's done, not because the enemy won. There they are. Almost a festive atmosphere. You can kind of see, I mean, they're giving gifts to each other. Hallmark will have a happy Dead Witnesses Day card. You know, you go into like the store and, oh, happy Dead Witnesses Day. Joy is going to fill the land. These men whose deeds were seen as evil because they were about as politically incorrect as you can get. They were saying all the wrong things to everybody. They were disrespecting the, the government. They were disrespecting religion. They were disrespecting the monetary system. They were just plain disrespectful. But God saw it as a service unto him. People are going crazy. Going to be like jihadists running around, you know, rejoicing that these guys are dead. Kind of ghoulish, if you really think about it. But that's our world, isn't it? 
You ever wondered why humankind gravitates towards such insane amounts of violence and and putrid, gross stuff? I am shocked. I am old enough to remember back when we still had a census bureau in this country. And that movies got, you stepped over the line, you went to jail. There are not only words you couldn't say, if you did, you got in serious trouble. Now it's like you can say anything you want, show anything you want. One of the reasons I absolutely hate, I loathe, I despise Halloween. Because it glorifies this very thing. Ghoulish, demonic worship of death and destruction. But that's what's going to be going on. People are going to be, I don't know, they'll be over there kicking the two witnesses. They're going to be doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They're going to see it as, ha, they're dead. But then they're going to say, oh, no, not them again. And now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood to their feet. So now we have a full-blown zombie apocalypse going on. They pop back to their feet. They have been dead. It doesn't say that they get regenerated. It doesn't say they have glorified bodies. These are two dead guys that are now popped to their feet, and they're right back doing what they were doing before. Completely unabated. And great fear fall on those. <laughs> I'm thinking, can you imagine all the people that have been getting the Happy Dead Witness Day cards? They're like tearing them up and hucking them. Like, I didn't buy one of those. And the whole thing is seen from all over the world. And all of a sudden, these guys ascend into heaven. You can almost see it. You, know, you, you, you can imagine the news coverage. Uh, Wolf Blitzer here again in Jerusalem, where these troublemakers have now been dead for three and a half days. Celebrations continue to break out all over the Middle East. The death of these so-called prophets came at a great time in the world's history. You know, you can almost see it. There's just people like, you know, with their microphone. Well, what do you feel about the dead witnesses? You know, oh, yeah, I'm glad they're dead. You know, I had a cousin who got saved last week. (laughs) Ruined my party. And then all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, they won't believe it. People will try and explain it away. People didn't believe it when Jesus said it the first time. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. All God's doing is putting an exclamation point at the end of the three and a half years. That's all he's doing. He's saying, you think you won. You thought you were right. You didn't think you needed to make a decision. But I'm telling you, you need to make a decision. And then all of a sudden, these guys take off to heaven. Can you imagine? No wonder when the earthquake comes. No matter when... It, when when all this finally unfolds, you know, there, and when you think about it, I mean, we've had earthquakes recently. I remember the one in, in Sumatra. I mean, we had, what, almost a quarter of a million people died in that. 
This is not a huge amount of people, but it's twice as many that died at 9-11. It's a bunch of people. God's just saying, really? You don't believe me. For three and a half years, these guys preached the gospel message and they were untouchable. And when you tried to touch them, anyone who did so died. The earth has experienced no rain during the time. And then finally, your boss comes out of the pit and you think he kills them. And I raise them back to life and they get up and oh, by the way, Jesus still saves. And off to heaven they go. That's because God is filled with grace. He's filled with mercy. Even at this pivotal time in the course of this incredible time called the great day of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation of days, the day of the Lord, the Lord still being gracious to mankind and sends forth his voice. I don't believe that there's a lot of repentance in this, but I do believe that the message is clear. Our goal is to make sure the message is clear. None of us ever cause someone to be saved. We can only clearly give the message. When someone comes to Christ, it's because they have believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved. It's not because of the persuasiveness of my delivery system. It's because the truth is the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. These guys are going to preach the truth. And then God's going to take them off this earth. That's why I looked at this and it's like, this this is what that, that verse, my verse, my life verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in him. God will cause to come to pass exactly what he wants to come to pass. And these two guys, as strange as this whole story sounds, and it does sound like, it sounds like a movie script. You took this and turned it into a movie, I guarantee you millions of people come see this movie. It's got the makings of a great one. You got political intrigue. You got all the setup of how this all comes about. You've got this charismatic ruler. Then you've got demons coming out of the pit of hell. You got guys that breathe fire. You know, I mean, you can see Michael Bay doing this one, right? It's all so that people will come to know Jesus. These two witnesses. And so, beloved brethren, Stand strong. Preach the gospel. Because Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? The message of the gospel is foolishness. 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 For those who don't know the Lord but is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. This may sound like foolishness to maybe some of you that are in here tonight.
but it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, this stuff's going to happen. We don't know when. You might live out your whole life. You might not. You might not make it home. But I know this. What Jesus said to Mary and Martha, to James and John, what he said then applies now. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. And he who believes in me, though you will die, and every one of us will either die or be raptured, one of the two. When that happens, you can either have a mansion made in heaven or you can await what comes next, which isn't good. So I'm going to have some pastors come forward. You've never made that commitment. You need to know that your security, your eternal security, is in the hands of a God who loves you. We'd love to pray with you. And we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray for those that maybe you're here tonight. But after service, you come forward, just be prayed over, be prayed with. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. The rest of us, that is the message. You can start now with the same message these guys are going to preach after we're gone. Jesus saves. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again just come to you, and we are so grateful for your plan of salvation. And Lord Jesus, pray that right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'd send forth your gospel message into this congregation. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here, there's a single person in here that's never made a public profession that you, Jesus Christ, are the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no one can make it to heaven without you. Lord, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would convince and convict, Lord, that they would invite you, Lord, into their lives. And because of that, they'd be saved. Lord, just simple ask, and you will do. And so, God, we ask that you would do that. We pray for the rest of us. You'd embolden us, strengthen us. For the days that are ahead, cause us, Lord, to be a mighty force to be reckoned with. Would we be as these two witnesses one day will be, bold and fearless for you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.